And welcome to another edition of Let Me Tell You Something, as myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, continue our year-long journey to watch every match that Dave Meltzer's rated five stars or higher since he started this in 1983. We're up to match 101. Not like the room 101, this will hopefully not be torture. You might be thinking <laughs> also, where are you on the calendar? Well, in um, time terms, we're now a mere... 23 months away, 22 or 23 months away from when this happened. And you'll be thinking, wow, I bet that means you haven't got that many matches to go. And I'd say, fuck you. We have a lot more to do. <laughs> You'd say, that seems excessive. I say, you got a point, but this has been a tough year. <laughs> you say, for you personally or society in general? And I say, as a sympathetic, empathetic person, the plight of society affects people like me who actually care about others, you sociopathic fuck. And you'll say, I think you really got some temper issues you need to sort out. And I'll be like, maybe I do, maybe I don't. But one thing that won't make you angry is if you watch the next match that we're watching right now, Simon. What is the match we're covering? Oh boy, that just kept going and going. It did, and I even forgot <coughs> to do the main point, which is that despite the fact we've only got two years worth of wrestling to cover, we have at least... 36 matches to go because in the previous episode I claimed that 2018 gave us 18 matches of a five-star caliber in the eyes of Dave Meltzer. Turns out I was wrong. He gave 21 of these bastards five stars. So we're on to the second of the 21. What are we doing, Simon? Uh, We are looking at the NXT Championship match at TakeOver Philadelphia between Andrea Cien Almas and Johnny Gargano. Or Johnny Cien Almas. Also significantly, the first match to take place under the WWE umbrella to gain five stars since CM Punk and John Cena broke the five-star barrier that had been held in place for over five years, seven years earlier, at Money in the Bank. Seems so long ago, man. So many episodes. Yeah, and another example of how long it's taken, we have gone... WWE have provided us with five five-star matches up to this point. And now, at time of recording, we've got seven to cover over the next two years. All of which fall under the banner of NXT or NXT UK in one instance. So, Simon, what are your feelings towards the NXT brand and some people even like to say that, like, like a lot of people say, oh, Dave Meltzer hates WWE, in spite of the fact that he gives... I think his NXT ratings usually average out higher than his New Japan ratings. It almost seems like it's detached from the WWE, but I'm going to list this as a WWE match on our um, RSS feed. It's not going to be branded as an NXT match. Where do you stand on the whole NXT and its relationship to the rest of the WWE? Um, it's In terms of its presentation, it's, it's definitely separate. And in terms of its creative, it's definitely separate. Uh, obviously, you can't say it doesn't feed into the WWE umbrella because they get called up to the main roster. So I like to think of it as like a little separate island uh, or like a separate like it's its own entity, but it's got like 
a big bridge to the big WWE, if that makes sense. So is it like Gorillas to Blur, or is it more like um, uh, Paramount Vintage to Paramount, or Fox Searchlight to Fox? I'd say the second one. It's more yeah. like Fox Searchlight to Fox. Because it's the same, you know, it's the same umbrella company, like you say, like I said. But also, mm. they have the same production values of the WWE. You know, it's the same camera qual- picture quality. Mm. The big NXT TakeOver events are filmed with exactly the same personnel and, you know, uh, production values that you would expect from the WWE pay-per-view that we usually follow it the next night. Um, so it is essentially WWE, except for the lack of involvement from... Vince McMahon, and you would assume Kevin Dunn. Yes. Uh, well, I don't know about Dunn so much. I'd like to think that NXT are breeding their own... It's a breeding ground for all facets of the business, and they are breeding their own production crew. Uh, I'm not sure what Kevin Dunn's exact involvement with NXT is, if there is any, to be brutally honest. I think Michael Cole actually does a lot of the Kevin Dunn stuff as far as the backstage production, guiding the commentators on what to say next, and so on and so forth. I don't know for certain, don't quote me on that, but I know that he is involved. Um, I know that he like produced, was like the key producer behind the UK tournament when that started uh, back in January mm. of 2017. Um, uh, when you see WWE Breaking Ground, you do see Michael Cole sitting at a lot of the meetings, so he clearly does have some role there. So... This is the interesting question. I don't want to talk too much about NXT because we can talk about it over the next few episodes that we do NXT. I mean, to give you a, a, a heads up, NXT an NXT event is the only one at the time of recording, and it's coming up very soon, to contain two matches that Dave Meltzer gave five stars on the same card. No New Japan shows had two Meltzer five-star matches. No All Japan show. No, nothing else except for NXT has achieved that. And, um, not even PWG either, no, 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 considering PWG. Battle of Los Angeles is like, you know, a dream match factory. Mm. So, yeah, I guess this is like NXT has been really, as soon as it became its own developmental territory within and of itself, instead of being the reality show where prospective wrestlers have to prove that they're worthy of being in the WWE based on them being able to sell programs in the crowd and run around the ring carrying a large keg. Uh, it almost seems like the better way <sighs> to make them good wrestlers is to give them opportunities to develop their characters in a slightly smaller setting. And to wrestle. Mm, Who and, to, and to wrestle. And to do promos and, and all the other things. Um, but the funny thing is that then, really starting off with Johnny Gargano, they started to bring in the indie feds and like... Gargano and, and Champa, I think, were the first two to not be officially contracted when they started, but then gradually worked their way into becoming permanent parts of the roster. Because I remember Gargano being used as almost a, a jobber of sorts to Baron Corbin in one episode of NXT. Um, so they, they started almost from the bottom to get up to where they were, thanks to especially their, their feud with the Revival. And yeah, well... Gagan's first WWE TV appearance was as uh, the Liechtenstein champion yeah, but when the Miz beat him. That's like a, a separate thing. That's a separate thing. That doesn't count towards anything. 
That's well, no, it's, it's, it's it's just a little not funny fact, to... but most most wrestlers will in, until the developmental era and the tryouts will just be uh, extras. There'll be security guards. I think Champa was a security guard. I think Gargano was a security guard relatively recently. I think he might have taken a few hits from Daniel Bryan in a in a during his feud with the Authority at one point or another. Um, Champa played like a lawyer that got chokeslammed yes, by the Undertaker. Yeah, yeah. Again, just little novelty characters, but that's not that. So far in the past, you could imagine that no one would even remember that they were hired for that. Like, I don't think that would necessarily be part of their application. It's like, yes, well, he did play a good Liechtenstein guy, so I'm sure he'd be good for this uh, role now. Like, I'm sure Vince Liechtenstein. No... Liechtensteinian. I guess so. I'm sure Vince McMahon had no real recollection of Mick Foley being Jack Foley, a jobber in 1985. You know. I don't think how, you know. But um, Gargano's an interesting one. He seems to be more than anyone. He's almost now to NXT what Tommy Dreamer was to ECW. Mm. Get where I'm coming from. He's like the physical... Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he he... spent his whole career as an NXT guy um, at this rate. Especially since it is now a national TV show. and, And when you would have thought he'd have made his logical final move to leave... Uh, after the Adam Cole series and go to the main roster. Instead, they kept him in um, and and he's now part of the story, but not part of the championship scene, which he really basically became a key part of from this match going forwards for the next year and a half, basically. Yeah, I mean, obviously, this is sort of him stepping onto the big stage following his breakup with Champa. Mm. Um, so that, that gave them the benefit of like splitting up a tag team, but having having two main event stars for NXT ready to go mm. before Champa's injury was like truly revealed. But they still had Johnny, and they they had him go through a lot of bit, a bit of a slump. If you watch yeah. the promo package before this match, it's it's a man who's on his path to redemption, and the yeah. destination is this match against Elmas to take uh, the title off of him. Especially because Elmas just doesn't rate Johnny as as opposition. Well, they've already said he's that, just he's him, yeah. that he's beaten him twice before when he wasn't the champion. And Gargano yeah. was like a surprise winner of the, the, the championship contenders match because until very recently, he'd been on a pretty bad losing streak. And that's one of the things about Gargano is that he has, his character has complexities and he goes on an emotional journey that very few wrestlers will get to go on. When he goes on losing streaks, they're a factor into his character. There's a reason for why he started going on the losing streak, and there's a reason why he snaps the losing streak. When he does something morally duplicitous, there's a reason for why he did it, and then there's a reason for why he sees the error of his ways at a later point. He is affected by all the people around him in different ways, and that's one of the things that I love about the Champa feed. I love... Any feud that can draw in other rest, it's like a like it, it's bringing in people like a black hole to the point that it becomes so. It's like the the key storyline of NXT is defined by what Champa's doing and what Gargano's doing because it you know it draws in um, Candice LeRae, it draws in Andrade, who in a previous uh, NXT takeover I think he beat Gargano because he threw a DIY him or Zelina threw a DIY shirt at him to throw him off his game. 
It draws in yeah. Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era. It draws in Alistair Black. It draws in Nikki Cross. You know, it draws... It, it, it brings more and more characters into it, and they can all shoot off into their own storylines within the storylines, which was what was so great, again, about the Tommy Dreamer Raven feud. Again, the thing that's closest... Another sort of parallel, how that brought that drew drew in the Dudley boys, or it drew in Shane Douglas, or it drew in um, the the Eliminators, or it drew in Stevie Richards, it drew in um, Terry Funk, it, it drew in Cactus Jack, you know, or Austin McMahon brought in Kane and the Undertaker and Mick Foley and The Rock and yeah. the Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock and everyone else starts getting involved because it's such a great... That, that's like my favourite storylines. And Johnny Gargano is maybe the best at doing that. But at the same time, he I think it's very obvious that he has become, by this point, a favourite of Shawn Michaels and Triple H. I think they love Gargano. And they love his character work. And I think they see this as their great epic project themselves. And to the point that I think Gargano might get indulged in a way that no one else has been allowed at this point. This isn't the worst example of it. We had the worst example of it in 2019. And it's not a match that got the five-star rating. So maybe we'll talk about it another time. With this one, already you're getting to the point of how many kickouts are too many kickouts? Well... We've sort of had this question before when we like talked about the later all Japan stuff when the shark was starting to get jumped. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's great that you have like strong style, and it's great that you can have like moments where people are charged enough or people are weak enough not to hit their full finisher. But the, in wrestling in general, the water has been diluted, and I, I think this match walks the tight lo- tight line, tightrope, uh, tightrope rather. Um. I was trying to. I was mixing that and fine line. It walks a fine line or a tightrope. Getting both now, uh, but I think it just about gets away with it. Just, mm. uh, but as the the example you're referencing is a, uh, in 2019 of Gagano, possibly well maybe Cole as well being um, overindulged. I think we'll have to say that is, when we discuss the two <laughs> matches that Gargano and Cole had that Meltzer did rate five stars. So I don't think we should go too specifically into that. But oh no! All I'm, I'm saying is, it's from. a good example of. But we're already um, seeing the signs of it. Yeah, we're already seeing yeah. the signs of it in this match. Um, also, I remember because this got rave reviews when it happened. Uh, rightfully so. It's a fantastic match, and one of the people that sort of piped up with a with a voice of a dissent, as it were. Can you guess who it was? Who's known for their dissenting voice against the overriding culture of what's popular now <laughs> in modern wrestling? Jim Cornette. Yes, Jim Cornette. Can you do you know what his main criticism of Gargano was? No. Because once he says it, you can't quite m- not see it. Right. His key criticism of Gargano in this match is that he gr- goes to the glazed over eyes cell too often, and I can see where he's coming from because it's like basically the glazed uh. over eyes cell is very much uh, the selling of a, of a concussion. Yeah. But it feels like if you get that, you should kind of it should stay there. With with Gargano, it comes and it goes a couple of times in the match, especially towards the end. You you know you're mm. either concussed or you're not. You can't shake off a concussion like you can arguably shake off a knee injury. And if you get a yeah, second concussion, then you're basically dead. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you could possibly pass it off as maybe he's dazed more than concussed. I don't, I it's don't. the same cell both times. You know, they yeah. have a different cell for dazed than you do concussed. And this is a thing that, like... Mm. It's a weird thing, like, everyone always complains about wrestlers that don't sell in the indies and everything, and, and more so now in the WWE. But I think it's almost a problem that the, the degree of selling doesn't escalate. You can get, you know, it's like someone gets hit with a DDT and they'll just go flying up in the air. It becomes like a contest for who can sell the most. The Young Bucks basically yeah. did it to the point of self-ridicule with the spinning off of the clothesline and everything. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? It's like uh, they, like people sell it as if they've been killed, and then it's like, well, then you should be down for three. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Spinning off clotheslines is a particular bugbear of mine. But it's not even um, that, really. It's it's more just just people taking ridiculously large scale bumps, but it's still not being the finish of the match. It might even be well, like Dolph Ziggler taking any like, kind of like TDT, for yeah, example. Yeah, it might be like the halfway point of the match. And you're going to get up from that kick out pretty quickly. And it's like, well, if you've taken that kind of... If you're selling it that way, there's no way you can recover that quickly, you know? Yeah. And I don't think yeah. Gargano's as guilty of that. I think he does a great thing of, like, getting a, a second wind and, and, and a, you know, re-energizing. But it's still there, you know? But the key mm. of the story, I think, is that Andrade underestimates Gargano. In the early stages, he's, he's trying to bully him on the mat and Gargano won't have it. But it's also, I think, the sense is that Andrade is that one step above Gargano still. And that when he finally hits his top gear, Gargano struggles to keep up with him. And it's about, but but Andrade struggles to put him away because of Gargano's resilience, you know? Yeah, well, Gargano's heart is what's referred to in this, because that's the thing that sort of kept, sort of kept him going whilst he was in his like, losing streak. And... Um, I don't know about level-wise. I think it's more of a confidence thing they're trying to convey because Almas Maybe, is yeah, the, yeah. the champion reborn ever since Selena Vega, like you know, rescued his career effectively in storyline terms. And Gagano, obviously, he, he's got momentum again, but he's very conscious of where he was, I think. And I think a little bit of that plays in his mind on a subconscious level. Um well, Despite the fact, obviously, he's got the heart and drive to keep going. Mm. Do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah. Well, you know, Almas goes in full confidence, uh, utterly sure of himself. You know, they play that into the storyline that he'd been a bit of a playboy and had lost his concentration after he'd made his debut with those terrible suspenders. And uh, <laughs> and Zelina Vega channeled that aggression the right way and he got the big win over Drew McIntyre a couple of months earlier. Um, and I do one of the things I do love about the Andrade Vega partnership is that is not in any way really implied that it's any kind of romantic or sexual relationship. It is a strict professional, like she is his motivator, his manager, and his troubleshooter in in this match as well. It's not just they're goo goo eyes in yeah. love with each other or anything like uh, like say Rusev and uh, Lana were or. Um, uh, to a, to another extent, like like Randy Savage and Elizabeth back in the day. Um, yeah, it's more like a friend relationship, or like you know, like well, um, the friend who just wants I think, like you say, it's, it's strictly professional. Hmm. I don't know. I think there is a slight element now, not in the early stages when they Maybe first like, together. 
Well, like the the, the but I, I think even yeah, like the smug tranquilo thing where she mirrors what he does. I can get that, but they don't do it in this yeah. match. No, they don't do it in this match. But I think by this point, uh, bec- maybe because she's starting to see results, there's like a bit more respect and maybe a bit more not like a full like pal friendship, but you know she's more oh, more warming. She's warming slightly more to him than just purely a business partner. Do you see what, what I mean? What Gone she from a work colleague. I think we're probably reading way too much into this and should just concentrate on the match. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like it's, it's pretty much even Stevens throughout the match as it goes on until um, Almas rams the back of uh, Gargano's head into the LED board. Yeah. And at Oof. that point, it's about... That's when the glassy eyes start coming in and it's about... How can how resilient is Gargano? Because he like kicks out of the drive-through double knees in the corner. Um, yeah, and and Zelina Vega does some great heel work. I mean, what I also love with Gargano is that he allows the fans to cheer for a face and boo for a heel for the most part. I think you probably do get a Andrade, let's go Johnny or whatever. Let's go Almas, let's go Johnny. Champ, but it feels like Gargano's the the face in the. It feels like. Oh, Gargano's I think he's like got like ninety to ninety five percent of the crowd. I feel. Mm. Um, there's a great bit shortly after. Obviously, he starts selling the um, the massive head blow when he's trying to fire punches, um, but it just doesn't seem quite all there. Mm. Uh, as definitely later on, but even straight away afterwards, he's just not got that same pop or zip. Mm. And I know what obviously we've just like talked about selling and like going like non-sequential selling, but if you want to sell like a momentum shifting blow, I think that's a really good way of doing that, mm. you know, because then the story can move into its second stanza, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I love the, um, it was interesting. There was a moment where it seemed like it was a, maybe a botch where Gargano starts doing a, a tilt a whirl around, um, around, Got, uh, Almas, and it seems like Almas almost loses him, but then it leads into the Gargano escape, and I like that. It almost weirdly, when it when they slightly screw up, it works better within the context of the move and making it feel more like a a struggle, and and Gargano finding a very small opening and taking full advantage of it. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because obviously, at this point, following the head, the head blow, blow, he's got to take it. He's got to. He can't afford not to take any window he gets. He's, he's, he's got to be on it. He's got to try and force an opening. You know, if there's a slight sliver, he's got to like make that a big enough gap mm. to take the opportunity. I think Vega and uh, with Andrade do fantastic heel manager work that you again don't really see. Paul Heyman doesn't really do this with Brock Lesnar. I think the only time he did it was really during the CM Punk feud and maybe during the Triple H feud. I can't really remember that well. But she like. She mm. tries to get the ropes to go, uh, Andrade when Andrade's in the Gargano escape, and then when the ref notices it, that allows her to provide a distraction, and he rakes the eyes of Gargano to get him to break the hold. And then, you yeah. know, brilliantly, when um, Gargano backdrops out of the hammerlock TD- DDT to the out to the apron, Vega takes that moment to then runner him into the steps, which again, you know, it's like her using. Like her positioning and everything is perfect to cause maximum damage to Gargano, and then they and then Almas hits the hammerlock DDT, 
and that gets a two, uh, like a really long two count. The move that he beat, um, well, he didn't. No, actually, it was the draping one that he beat Drew McIntyre with. Um, and then that's so like his super was, one, isn't it? The draping so, one. Yeah, yeah. So that was the one that won it against Drew McIntyre. <laughs> so when Zelina then gets attacked by Candice, it's a really, you know, the crowd bloody love that moment, and that is like classic Jim Cornette being chased off by Baby Doll or something like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and. Um... You're right, Vega's sort of like a throwback in this. Mm. Um, it's weird thinking about it, like, objectively now, across like a lot of promotions. You don't really see a lot of what Vega's doing in this in this match at all. And like, I don't know if people are thinking it's a dated thing. It's like Well, Vince hates them. Vince old. hates managers. And then he goes through a brief period where he suddenly likes them again. You know, when he had a... Uh, What's-his-face... Whatever, whatever, something forgot. Drake Maverick partnered up with the AOP. Yeah. And um, who else did a little managerial thing? I guess you could sort of have Titus Worldwide and a few other things. And he's suddenly like, oh, I'm going to bring Aiden back. English for Rusev. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know he wrestled a little bit, but. Yeah. Uh, Lana seems to reappear and disappear yeah. with Rusev. Well, that's more like when it's a. Like she's not always around. More than just like a manager, like being involved. I think it's also like how involved the manager is. Like, this is directly they're getting involved in the finish of the match, like a Bobby Heenan would be, or like a Jimmy Hart would be occasionally. Whereas, even someone like Gado in New Japan never really factors into the finish of a match. He might be get involved in the early stages and then quickly get knocked out, especially now he's with the Bullet Club. But he really isn't, like, involved at all. Um, and whereas Vega can be a factor right into the finish, like she is when um, when Alistair Black beats Andrade for the title, I think maybe at the next takeover or the takeover after that. Um, mm. Yeah, I was just, I'm just trying to make a note of all the things that Gargano kicks out of. I've got a look here. Uh, oh, I did love it. He, when he turned the. When he, now Gargano's slingshot spear like gets a huge reaction from the crowd when he hits it. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Uh, so he kicks out the drive-thru. Um, and he's like really like could be the finish of the match. He kicks out the drive-thru. He kicks out the hammerlock DDT. Uh, there are a couple of other moments where he really kicks out very late on. And and he gets to the point, like for the finish, Almas has to hit the knees into the court, like in, into the ring post, which makes such a cool yeah. sound. Even though it's actually relatively safe now because that looks like it's not... Um, you know, it's not a steel pole anymore that they're being rammed into. It's, uh, by the looks of it, quite a hollow padding. carbon being, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it looks and sounds fantastic. But again, and Gargano does the glazy eyes, so maybe if he hadn't done that until that point, it would have been more effective, you know? Yeah, and I so then, where you're coming from there. So then Alma sets him up. On the drape, hits the draping DDT on Drew McIntyre, and that's finally enough for the three count. After like, I think it's more than thirty minutes. The match goes, um, and this is what yeah. this is what sets it off. And now there've been more matches in the past two years from WWE, all coming from an NXT brand that have got five stars, and in the entirety of the previous, you know, what twenty eight years of five star matches before then. Uh, no, even more than that, sorry. 30, 35 years of five-star matches before then. Yeah, now I'll, you're right. This is the bit where like the the sparks... It's been sparked now. It's going... 
to explode basically as you quite rightly say this is like there are 21 matches this in the year of 2018 in terms of NXT this is the match that seems to bother them into the next year sorts of parallel would be the first Okada Omega match this is yeah. their Okada Omega although obviously these guys didn't go on to have a direct rivalry I guess yeah. that's the big difference but in terms of that moment yeah this is that this is the Wrestle Kingdom yeah it's, it's also <laughs> just that thing of like when when Meltzer goes five stars it seems like that's the like it kicks it off like that promotion is now allowed to do five stars matches like it's hard for it to break it but then when it does it becomes a lot easier for it subsequent to that you know uh, Gargano mm. has another three five star matches at time of recording he may have had a fourth for all we know before uh, by the time this comes out against someone or other um, but yeah I, I think it's just also also this is where the matches start to really get longer the, the main events like some of these matches we're going to cover are going to be like 40 45 minutes long yeah uh, with all sorts of uh, epic uh, Chekhovian esque moments of theatricality um, so this is like the more there, there's more to come and I think because of that and because of the slight faults here and there, I think it's an exceptionally good match. But I'm not quite going to go to five stars myself. But I can understand why others would. And I myself am going to be one of those others. I am going to give this five stars. I have no way stars. of understanding why you did that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just... The story just goes along. And what i like is i don't have a lot of actual like notes of moves from this because they didn't spam a lot of moves but they, they made what they did outs. they spammed kickouts yes but they made what they did in terms of the moves mean something if you see what i mean like yeah. they didn't like have to have like massively intricate se- sequences they didn't have to like pop up from like dragon suplexes or anything like that they just they just told a really really good story and almas is a great worker as is gargano and it, mm. i think they really have a good chemistry like i i'd like to see um armchair quarterback like dreams like fantasy booking i would love to see them do something like this on the main roster if they yeah. have the opportunity they'll never get the opportunity <laughs> why you got to piss on my dreams and i don't want to on my dreams i don't want to on my dreams I don't know that a WWE crowd would be as receptive to this as an NXT crowd. They are Depends a different the... crowd. There's a lot yeah. of overlap, but it's not all the same people. I guess it would depend on the on the venue. You're right. Some crowds in, on the main roster are really like dead, and some are like really like live. It's mm. it's a very broad spectrum. Whereas NXT, you are kind of guaranteed, especially at a takeover, you're guaranteed a crowd that are going to be into what you're doing. Yeah, but maybe even more into themselves and what they're doing. You know, you, well, you walk that, yeah. that tightrope again, as it were. Yeah, there are certain fans in the front row that I, I hate yeah. uh, in this match. Yeah. Uh, that, um, that guy who wears the green smiley t-shirt, oh, he's there he goes, every time. He doesn't time. seem to actually enjoy it that much. I, but you just all the fact that you always wear the same clothing means you just want to make it about you, and it's really bloody annoying. Well, I know that that's the case, but I'm sure a lot of people like wear a certain shirt to every football game if they're a season ticket holder. 
Maybe that's more for good luck, but you know what I mean. I was going to say there's a superstitious like part. People have that. their routine. Well, maybe he's got a superstition. If I wear this, I will see at least a what four and a quarter star match. <laughs> no, no, the way he looks at that, keeps staring at the hard camera sometimes. When he's he not knows what he's doing. Phone. Anyway. I just don't get it. If you're going to be in the front row, just bloody enjoy it. Just one more thing about Andrade, since at this point time of recording, this is the only five-star match we're going to see from him. Uh, when people say about like the effect and the influence of the Bullet Club and, and how far the tentacles now spread, you've got so many of them in, the, in AEW and being the foundation of AEW were mostly Bullet Club members. You've still got them in New Japan... You've got the OC in WWE as well as Finn Balor as well with the Balor Club. Um, I also want to say at this point, give a little shout out to the the many tentacles of Los Ingobernables and the Tranquilo movement. Because not only do you have Naito and Los Ingobernables de Japón in New Japan as maybe as the most popular faction there. You've also got Los Ingobernables, the original, still about out and about in Mexico with differing members. You've got Andrade now in the WWE doing his tranquilo pose in the ropes whenever he gets the chance, doing a little shout-out to his friends across the pond, uh, across the oceans and uh, across borders and, you know, beyond walls. Um, and also, even now in Ring of Honor, the Ring of Honor champion is Roosh, um, an original member of Los Ingobernables and about to change his name as well. And uh, when he recently did his uh, championship celebration, he brought his kid into the ring, his dad and his brother, Dragon Lee. And uh, his son immediately celebrated in the ring by doing a little roll into a tranquilo pose. Oh, so so the, uh, the fists are in the air and are being touched across continents. And that's pretty cool to see. Um, but anyway. I like that. I like that. And I, I just, just want to see, like, I just, as I say, like, I love Lost I love that. I love Elmas. I love Naito. I, I seem to like enjoy that, that that faction stuff the same way I enjoy Bullet Club stuff. It, it's opening the, the faction itself is like more going to open my eyes to other members mm. because I'm intrigued now to see what the other members are like. Yeah, so just, it's a great way gateway. I just love that its influence spans promotions. I love that. And Vince probably doesn't get what's so significant about Andrade doing the tranquilo pose and the ropes and what have you, but to those that know, it means something different. You know, like the that's their version of the two sweets. You know, so yeah. I wait for the if WWE you know, to you try. Know, and, you know. I wait for the WWE to try and trademark that mo that pose as well as soon as they can. <laughs> um, but anyway, Simon, where are we for our next match? We are heading off to. Oh, we're heading up off to New Japan, but we're staying in America, I believe. Yep, uh, with... Long Beach. We are watching some tag team wrestling as the Young Bucks take on their former friend, Kenny Omega, with his former and now current friend, Kota Ibushi. It's the Golden Lovers versus the Young Bucks. Well, that's something to get excited for. And if you thought this had soap opera dynamics, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> But until then, how can people get in touch with you, Simon? People can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for the layers of glaze on Johnny Gargano's eyes at the end of this. My name is Lorcan Mullen. That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, as in the middle syllable of Gargano. 
That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. You can get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. Lmtyspod is also our Twitter handle, and it's also our Facebook page is out there for you to like and enjoy. But anyway, there's nothing left to say now at this point except my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Gracias, mi amigos. Stay tranquilo and have a Cinco Estrada time until the next time. There's no doubt about it. We don't belong in this world. Be better off without us. Madness and destruction. Maybe that is just. Of who we are The universe is mostly made of nothing Isn't it so beautifully bizarre That here we are Watching the wind blow Watching the wind blow Watching the rain so hard Watching the fire Getting higher this strange little star watching the wind